Amen. Wow, well, it's good to see you here this morning. And, uh, you know, just go like this and pat yourself on the back for being here. Just kind of do that. That's, that's good. Just, just give yourself a little pat in the back. You know, you're here this morning, and uh, I am so glad to see you. It is good to be together with God's people, isn't it? Amen. Amen. How many are looking forward when all this has passed us and we can just be the, the church again, right? Uh, I mean, just completely unhindered, re- rejoicing and worshiping the Lord together. It's going to be fantastic. You know, there's an old song, which I absolutely can't stand, no matter whose version of it there is, and there's been lots of them. I think, I think Carly Simon was the first one to sing it, and it was uh, Pave Paradise and Put Up a Parking Lot, right? How many hate that song, no matter who sings it? I can't stand it, but anyway. Yeah, but anyway, there's one line in the song, though, that is very, very, very uh, poignant this morning. And it says, doesn't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone, right? And, and I thought to myself, how true that is. We don't realize how good it is to be able to just come together and worship every Sunday until it was taken away. And then you go, oh, my goodness, I don't like this. And what it's done for me is it's, it's, in co- it's caused me to pray for his church because I realize that this is an inconvenience for us. But for many parts of the world, this is against the law in every regard. You cannot meet at all. You'd be arrested. You'd be thrown in jail. You'd be tortured just for your faith, just for your faith. And so they meet in secret. They, they find places to hide. They find places to, to gather where, where, where they're outside of the, the purview of law or of, of, of military governments. We don't have that here in this country. We have a season of restriction, which is annoying. No question about it. I'll be the first to admit that it's hindered my style. You know, but aren't you glad that we have the freedom to practice our faith, to live our faith in this country, that our religious liberty is still freedom in this country? And this will last, and the, I mean, this will pass, and the pandemic will be by, and we'll be back doing what we do because God is bigger than this pandemic. Someone say amen. amen. All right, I'm not going to get into any more politics than that. I could, I could but I won't. Today I want to talk about community. I want to keep going down the road of community, and then Pastor Mark, the next couple weeks, he's going to be... He's going to finish off this month talking about community. And I got Pastor Mark to do it because, I mean, he is our pastor pastor. He's, a, he's the pastoral care guy. He's the one that, that if you need a hug, he's the man, all right? And, uh, you know, because his passion, his portfolio is to just make sure uh, that people are connected in the body of Christ, to make sure that, that he's doing everything he can to facilitate relationship in the body of Christ. And we, we love Mark and Katrina. What a gift we believe you guys are to our house, and we're so grateful for you. So, amen? Come on. So, I asked Pastor Mark if he, he would just take the last couple weeks of this month and, and just share his heart for community. And, and the tagline for this month is, is, build this community so we can reach that community, right? If, if, you know, the Bible says, you know, whatever we do, love should start in the household of faith. And, and the Bible says that they'll know we're Christians by our love, what? One another. So if we start it here, then we have something to export there. And then we are able to, uh, you know, influence our culture. And, and you know what? Leadership, everybody say leadership. As John Maxwell would say, leadership is one thing and one thing only. It's influence. 
And if we want to know why we're not leading in our communities is because we've lost our influence. You say, how do you gain that influence back? Well, you don't gain it by complaining all the time. You gain it by serving. You gain it by loving. You gain it by being the bigger people at every opportunity that you have. And when you do so, you gain influence because you have come along and you have supported people and they don't see you as the enemy anymore. They see you as somebody who loves them and cares for them. And you can love people without agreeing with them. How many know that? I've discovered that. I love all kinds of people I don't agree with. It's an amazing thing. I love them and I don't agree with them. What a liberating thing when you can do that. But so much in our culture today, what we call cancel culture, uh, if you don't agree with somebody, then it's impossible for us to be friends. We can't have dialogue anymore. And then we're getting more and more and more segregated and separated all the time. And the main culprit of it's the internet. If you haven't watched a documentary on Netflix, I'm, I'm digressing today, but I, I think this is important. It's called The Social Dilemma. You need to watch it. How many have a Netflix account? Let me see. Come on, hold your hand up high so I can see it. Okay, well, it's called The Social Dilemma. And what it exposes is how uh, uh, social media polarizes society. It's one of the negative aspects of it. So it shows how that if for the very first time, for example, I'll use one of the most polarizing figures in Canadian, American history and Canadian culture in the last four years, Donald Trump. And if you'd never been on the internet before, you don't, your presence is brand new and you get on there and you type in to Google Donald Trump, what would pop up would be all kinds of articles both for and against Donald Trump. And if you read through the headlines and then you say, oh, I like that one right there on Fox. I'm going to read that. And you click on a Fox one, and it's pro-Trump. And then you uh, go to another article that's pro-Trump. And then you turn the computer off. And the next day, you go back and turn it on again, and you type in again, Donald Trump. And you hit enter. Guess what happens? The articles that now pop up for Donald Trump are all supportive of Donald Trump. And the ones that are against him are way down the page. If instead, the first time you'd you chose to read CNN articles or CNNBC and you read stuff that was critical, then you turn on your computer the next time, all of the articles that are curated for you are negative about Trump. And so the computer's algorithms or the Internet's algorithms have quickly figured out where your bent lies and it now feeds you information that reinforces your bias. So what ends up happening is that by the time you've been on the internet reading stuff for a month, you have drank one particular Kool-Aid or the other, and you have no exposure to the other side of the argument. And that's true not just of Trump, it's true of just about everything you can think in. Of If you type in pandemic, and then you read articles that are, are seeing it as more of a conspiracy rather than a real medical issue, all the news media you'll get fed will be stuff from that slant. If you, if you type in, you know, fear of pandemic, and then you read all the stuff that, all the articles you'll get fed will be that. And what it does is that you only read the things that fit a particular bias, and the, and the, the area in the middle gets wider, and wider and wider as we become a culture more and more divided than ever. I, I, I have a confession to make. I love Tim Allen. I loved Home Improvement when it was on TV. It was awesome. And then he had a comedy out the last number of years called Last Man Standing. Yeah, and uh, he plays a typical Tim Allen character. He's a father of three girls. And, uh, and he's a hardcore right-wing conservative Republican. But he has a black neighbor that's a, a liberal Democrat. 
And over the course of the seasons together, they become really good friends, even though they completely disagree with one another. And they're able to forge a friendship because one of the things that the show portrays is that it's possible to disagree with somebody and still be kind. Now, they take jabs at each other and all that kind of stuff and, and as the show goes on. But, but the point that I think is the underlying thing that he's trying to communicate is that it's not necessary to agree with each other to be civil with each other, to love one another, to care about one another. But our world is pushing us further and further apart. We, the church, have the opportunity to fill in the gap, to come in the middle and pull the two sides together. And we can't do it if we let our biases go ahead of our faith. If our, our biases and our opinions are stronger than our faith and our love, then we're not going to be able to fulfill the role that God has for us to be in the middle and pull the sides together. So if you have a particular ideological bent, park it. And I encourage you, stay off the news. Please. I've been saying this. I don't know how many times I've had to say this during the pandemic, but stop watching the news. I don't care which side you watch. Stop it. They both have one thing in common. They're negative all the time. Whatever ideology they follow, left or right doesn't matter, they're negative. Negative, negative, negative. Turn it off. Turn it off. Put some worship music on. Spend time with the Lord instead. Get out the Bible. Actually, read the Scripture. Your life will be way better than it will be if you watch the news. Turn it off. Shut it down. Well, I need to be informed. Yeah, it's good to be informed. You can probably find out what's going on in the world in five minutes on, on, on the Internet, just looking up a couple news websites. For five minutes, you can know everything that's going on in the world. Five minutes I spent yesterday. I timed myself. Five minutes, I found out there was an earthquake up near Ottawa. It was a 3.5, and it was felt down as far as upstate New York. Did you know that? I found that out yesterday. Uh, you know, uh, I, I found out um, that, you know, uh, J-Lo and A-Rod's split up is not real, that they're both saying it's not, you know. I found that out. Uh, I, I found out all this nonsense, and it only took five minutes. I didn't read the details about any of them because I really don't care, frankly. But you see my point. Now, if there's a couple articles you are interested in, you can stop and read them. There's, there was one that they, they actually dug up uh, uh, some kind of like a velociraptor type thing. He was, it was instantly um, petrified, sitting on its nest with the eggs, buried in a volcanic eruption. And they, 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 they found the thing with the, the, the little baby uh, reptiles inside the eggs, petrified. That was fascinating. I read that one. I didn't really care about that other stuff, but I read that. I don't care what Kim Kardashian's doing. It makes no difference to me. But that... That was fascinating. I read that one. You see what I mean? Five minutes, you can find what you, you, you know, what's, what's important, what's information. You can know every headline, and then you don't need to waste any more time. Turn the stupid TV off. That's for free this morning. Uh-oh, the pastor said the word stupid. That's bad. Yes, I'm sorry. To my, to my grandchildren, I'm sorry. Pastor's, pastor's sorry today. All right. What was I going to be talking about today anyway? <laughs> Oh, I want, I want to talk to you today. I want to follow up on talking about community last week. And I, and I want to talk to you today about, uh, you know, I remember when I, I, I preached on this once before, uh, about uh, nine years ago, when we were doing our, our values before, and, and I got bit, quite a bit of pushback from this message to the point where I almost didn't preach it, you know, about this again. Then I thought, nah, 
I'm going to do it anyway. Pushback's good for the soul, right? And uh, I want to talk about hospitality today. And, uh, and you say, why did you get pushback? Well, because people didn't agree with my, what I was saying about hospitality. So I thought, well, I'll take another kick at the can today and see how many people I can make upset with me this time. <laughs> As I mentioned last week, we're, we're social beings, right? God created us to live in community. In fact, the first declaration he made over Adam, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. So I'm going to make somebody to be with him. I'm going to make him a helpmate. And so God created Eve, uh, not so that, you know, she could, you know, iron his clothes and cook his meals, but so that they could, they could be together, right? So they could do life together. That's what it was about. Now, it's an added bonus if she's going to cook you dinner, but the reality is it's not what it was about. It was about doing life together. Amen? That's why God created Eve. And I, and I read a quote last week, no man is an island, every man is a piece of the continent. No one's an island, everybody's a piece of the continent. We are all in this together. We really are. And I realize that's cliche, and it's been used over and over again in the midst of this whole thing, and that when you, you know, and you, you see some people profiting in the midst of it, and some people losing their jobs, it's hard to, to say that this is universally applied. But when it comes to our faith, it's true. We are all citizens of God's kingdom in this together, and we have to support one another. Amen? Well, today I want to talk about, I want to continue talking about this, and I want to talk about hospitality. Now, for a Christian, hospitality is not an option. You can't decide that you're going to not be hospitable. It's not an option. Hospitality is a biblically commanded thing for us to live and to practice. And it's throughout the Scripture. You go back to the Old Testament, um, you'll find all the way back to Abraham where he invited the three travelers to stay and he prepared dinner for them. Then you move forward and you go to Elijah where she, uh, the prophet was invited to stay by the widow even though she didn't know how she was going to feed him. And yet she still invited him to come in. And she took the last of what she had for her and her son. The, she was going to cook a meal and die, remember? And yet... She, she instead cooked the meal and fed the prophet, and then God multiplied what she had, right? David took in thieves and criminals and all kinds of people, and he, he loved them and showed them hospitality and he accepted them, and he fed them and cared for them, and they became his most loyal, loyal men. David made a place around his table for Mephibosheth, a crippled boy. He made space for him so that he could have a place uh, in the royal uh, kingdom, even though he couldn't provide for himself. Boaz allowed Ruth to glean from the fields, right? And, and practiced one of the, the, the biblical mandates of, of hospitality, of not, not taking all your harvest from the edge, but letting that which was spilled out to the edge be picked up by the poor and the widowed and let them have it because in so doing, you are blessing those that God wants to see blessed. And so he did that. And he actually encouraged, he made room for her in his field and protected her that she could go and glean without being harassed in his field. You know, the scriptures are full of examples where people in the Bible modeled hospitality. Yet many Christians, the thought of taking somebody into their home for even a weekend, oh my word. And, and, and my family wants to move back in with me? Not a chance! My wife and I finally, after the, you know, second time for most of them, 
our kids living with us. We finally said, now you got your own homes. No, we're, we're done. But they've all lived with us, married with children while they're building or doing whatever they're doing. They, they've all lived with us uh, for as long as what I think the longest stretch was 15 months. And, uh, and we've done that because we believe it's our role to support our children in any way that we can. It's not about enabling them. I wasn't allowing them to sit at home while they were on welfare and, and uh, you know, twiddling their thumbs and not trying to get a job or anything. No, no, no. It was all about building their future, supporting them as they're building their future. And we should all do that as parents. I want my kids to be more prosperous than me, right? I want them to have more advantages than me. I want to do everything I can to help them excel. That's what I want to do for them. Shouldn't we all want to do that? Amen? You know, I'm, you know the, old, the old attitude, no, I work for it. My kid's going to have to work for it too. All right, yeah, they got to work for it, but shouldn't you do everything you can to help them so that it actually, is, they're more successful than you? Don't we want our kids to launch off of our shoulders into a higher uh, trajectory than we ourselves had? I don't want my kids to have to work as hard as I did to get ahead. I still want them to work because of the value of it, but I want, I want to do everything I can to make that work as effective as possible. Amen? Amen? Well, you know, when it comes to hospitality, in some ways, it's about having the same attitude even for strangers. Hospitality is about wanting the blessing for other people that we have and we carry ourselves. And many times, we, the, even the most basic elements of practicing hospitality are a real stretch for us in our modern culture today. In, in Eastern cultures and in Latin American cultures, it's not such a big deal. How many have ever heard the phrase, um, hopefully, you know, Lloyd, and you can correct me if I'm saying this wrong, mi casa, su casa. Is that how you say it? My, my home is your home, Right? And you hear that in, in Latin American cultures, but it's not very commonly heard here. My home is your home. I go to, you know, Asian countries and Africa, and, you know, they will open up their hearts, and they have absolutely nothing to give, and yet they'll bring you in and give you what they have. And I'm, please hear what I'm saying, and don't read into it and hear something I'm not saying. I'm not mad at anybody today, all right? Pastor's not up here grinding an axe or anything like that. So don't pick up an offense and walk out of here and say, Pastor doesn't love me or anything like that. That's not what this is about today. But I'm trying to help us to think a little bit outside the box about what it is to practice biblical hospitality. You know, if you look up the word in the dictionary, it says, hospitality is the friendly and generous reception of guests visitors, or strangers. Let me say that again. It's the friendly and generous reception of guests, visitors, or strangers. That is what hospitality is. And if we'll practice that, we'll build this community and we'll reach that community. If we think this way, of friendly and generous reception of guests, visitors, and strangers. That's what it is. You know, it comes from uh, the French word, uh, Hospitalite. I'm not even how shall you say that. Uh, but if you, if you think about it, what is a word that we see, and every town's got one, that, that the same root is in hospitality and is in it? What is it? It's a... Wow. What does that maybe give us a little insight into what hospitality means? It's got the same root as the word hospital. It's about meeting the need of other people at our expense. 
It's about, it's about inconveniencing ourselves a little bit so that we can help somebody else who's in need or just to be kind. Last week, my wife and I, we were trying to decide what to do after church. You know, get that sometimes you don't have anything prepared at home. And uh, so Barry said, we'll just come to our house. I said, well, you know, we can't just show up. Yeah, you can. And I said, well, aren't you going to at least call Tammy? No, I don't need to do that. He said, uh, he's, he said you know, she, she's cooked a roast, and she knows I, I, I bring strays around all the time. So he said, just, just come on over. So, you see, that's what hospitality is. Now, you know, people say to me, okay, well, well, what's the difference between hospitality and entertaining? Well, they're not the same thing. Entertaining, in fact, has very little to do with true biblical hospitality. It's not that it's entirely wrong to entertain. It's just they have different motives. They have different objectives. Here's a definition of an, to what it means to entertain. It's to provide someone with amusement or enjoyment. So it's to provide someone with amusement or enjoyment. And secular entertaining is trapped in the bondage of entertainment. Secular culture is trapped is trapped in the bondage of entertainment. From everybody having the Disney Channel and Netflix and Amazon Prime and cable and, and our televisions on 24-7, you know, to entertain us, right? To when we have people over, our focus is to entertain them. And, and this is where I had people upset with me last time, because they were like, are you saying I can't have anybody over, that it's wrong to entertain people, that it's wrong to do my best for people? No, no, I'm not saying that. Yeah, you know, get your knickers out of a knot. Like, but what I'm saying is, let's take a hard look at what our motivation is for having somebody in our home, right? And it, it, what is our motivation? What is behind what we're doing? Because entertainment says, I want to impress you. I want, to, I want you to feel good about the experience. I want you to think well of me and to be uh, impressed by me because I have put this on for you. And so it's easy to fall into a trap of entertainment. That when we want to entertain people, well, we put out our finest linen and we, we cook the best meal and, we don't, and you say, oh, so we shouldn't put out fine linen? And, no, again, not what I'm saying. What's the motivation? Are we trying to make some kind of an impression or are we simply trying to love them? Right? And you say, well, you know, you're making me upset right now already, Pastor. I know I had this effect last time I talked about this. And <laughs> one of the, the, the things, and this may not be you, so if it isn't you, don't, don't pick it up, all right? But one of the problems with entertainment versus hospitality is that entertainment puts things ahead of people. It puts things ahead of people. So we might say, if, if we're caught in the trap of entertainment, well, I can't have people over until I've got my home decorated, until I've got the new this done, or I've got my new table, or I've got that. And you know what? And what ends up happening is that there's always something else that has to be done before you can have them in your home. And if that's you, if, you, if, there, if it's speaking true to you at all, maybe it's time to take a step back and reevaluate whether you're entertaining people or whether you're being hospitable to people. You know, well, my house is just never clean enough. I don't work for Better Homes and Gardens. So if I come over, I'm not there as an inspector. I, I, I've come over for relationship. I haven't come over to check your house out. 
Now, if you've just had your put down new flooring and stuff, yeah, show it to me. I'm, I'm, I'm going to rejoice with you over new flooring. Yeah, it's great. But I still came over to see you, not your floor. Right? Am I making any sense to anybody here? You see, one thing can lead to another, and then you never have people over because there's never a time when it's good. There's never a time when it's convenient. Entertainment subtly declares, this is mine, this is my house, these are my adornments, these are my decorations, this is my, my personality, this is a reflection of me. Would you look at it, please, and love me or accept me? Hospitality flips it around. It's not about me at all. It's about the people I'm bringing into my home. Not about me at all. It's about them. 100% about them. See, at its core, entertainment is about human pride. Hospitality is about love, if I can boil it down to that. So if there's some pride, if you're wrestling with some pride about your home when people come over, then take a step back and say, I'm going to make it just about them, not about me at all, just about them. So in other words, okay, so how does that work? Well, when is it convenient for them to come over to your house? What is it that they like to eat? What is it that you could do to make it easier for them? Maybe you could pay for their babysitting if you wanted just the adults to come over. I'm just, just saying. Just saying. Like, let's think outside the box about what it means to bless people and to love on people. So why do we buy into entertainment so easily? It's because we're afraid, I think, it's because we're afraid to allow people to see who we really are. So it's easier to put up a facade and let them see the facade rather than me. Now, I'm not suggesting you need to invite them over and leave your unmentionables all over the house, but, but it, isn't, it isn't necessary to have your house perfect before they come into your home. <laughs> oh, boy, is it ever quiet in here. <laughs> uh, you see... Entertainment's actually more comfortable and easier to do in some ways than to be hospitable because it's more emotionally convenient for us. It's more emotionally convenient for us. Now, we love to have people in our home. And sometimes it's entertainment, and we don't apologize for it. That's what I'm saying. If you're thinking I'm opposed to you doing any kind of entertainment, no, no, no. When, when, when we do a Christmas party or something, I mean, it's going to be just perfect right? And we're going to roll, because we want them to come away and go, wow, that was an awesome time, right? But if, if we were planning that party and, you know, somebody else dropped by who wasn't invited, would I be willing to bring that person in too? That's when you know whether you have an issue between entertainment and hospitality. To me, there's always room for one more. I learned that in the Philippines. You've got, you got this motorcycle, and there's already... <laughs> There's already four people on the motorcycle. But Adam, is this not true? There's always room for one more, right? So, you know, you got a truck, and the back of the pickup truck has 15 people in it, but there's always room for one more. You see, in our culture, that's foreign, but over there, it's the way of life. There's always room for one more, and it's true in a vehicle and around the table. There's always room for one more. And so if you want to know whether your heart has a problem, then would you have a problem if that person just showed up and just said, come on in, come on in, sit down, enjoy yourself, relax. If you say, no, well, I didn't invite them. Oh. 
Anyway, just <laughs> quiet, Barry. It's quiet. Help me, Barry. Help me. Thanks, brother. Thanks, brother. Appreciate that. Let me give you some questions and maybe help whether you, you gauge whether, uh, <laughs> whether hospitality or entertainment, which, which can't be fallen to <laughs> Oh, my goodness, I'm going to get stoned after this. People are going to just throw whipping stuff at me. Um, here we go. Here we go. If you answer yes to one or more of these, you might have to reevaluate the entertainment versus hospitality in your own heart. But here we go. Are you reluctant to have people in your home spontaneously? Like, could you just invite someone over to your house this morning after church, whether you've prepared a roast or not? If your answer comes back, no. All right. I mean... Yeah, or should I say, yes, I couldn't do that, <laughs> then that's a problem. Would it bother you if somebody dropped by unannounced and actually saw your home when it was clean, uh, unclean, I should say, uh, or maybe in a little bit of a disheveled situation? When you have company in, do you tend to invite the same people over all the time? Or you're saying we're not allowed to have friends? No, again, please, please. Just hear what I'm saying, not what I'm not saying. Don't put words in my mouth. Of course you're allowed to have friends. And of course you're allowed to have people that you hang around with more than other people. Okay, come on, really, seriously. Even pastors have that. But if that's the only people you hang around with and the only people you have, that's what I'm talking about, okay? All right. (laughs) Do you throw a party? When you throw a party, do you avoid inviting people that others do not invite? People that are unpopular? Do you feel satisfied if people compliment you about your home? Does that make you feel good? Again, nothing wrong with having a nice home. I'm just saying, if, if that's where you're getting your strokes from, rather than the opportunity to be hospitable, might have a problem. And again, if you're answering yes to a lot of these questions, then it's time to go back. If it's just one, if that's just the one, then you're probably okay. But hear what I'm saying. Don't throw anything at me. When you feel it is, would you feel it is inadequate to have someone in for lunch or dinner if the menu was simply Monday or Tuesday? In other words, it was just whatever you planned. Yeah, sure, come on over. Could you do that? If you couldn't, why not? What difference does it make? It's egg salad sandwiches today. Well, I don't want to just give them egg salad sandwiches. Why not? Because it's supposed to be about them and not about how they see you. Right? All right. Pass the tough questions. See, here's the key difference. Hospitality does not try to impress but to serve. If I can boil it down, write this down. Hospitality, here's the test. Hospitality is not trying to impress, but to serve. It's not trying to impress anybody. It's just trying to serve people. Hospitality always puts people ahead of things, whether it's the meal or it's your home or it's your, uh, you know, decorations. It always puts people first. It puts people first. Hospitality whispers. What is mine is yours. What is mine is yours. This is the secret of community that is all but lost to the church in the 20th century. Because the first words our kids learn when they first can talk 
decide after mommy and daddy is mine. Where do they learn that? They learn it in a culture that's obsessed with mine. How many times have your kids heard the word and that's why it's the third word that comes out of their mouth after mommy and daddy is mine, you know, is because they've learned from us. That's my tools. This is my house. This is my kitchen. This is my whatever, mine, 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 mine. And they learn mine. So when one of their siblings grabs a toy, no, mine, because they've learned mine. Where'd they learn it from? From us. Mine. And this is what we have to recapture in our culture, that anything that's mine is to be shared. God gave it to me to share it. God gave me my family to share with the world so that they could carry his love to the world. God gave me uh, a home so I could share it with the world. God gave me everything I have. I need to be willing I need to be willing to share it with the world. You don't have to, I'm not saying you need to sell your house and give everything away and then go live in a tent somewhere. Again, please, don't read into what I'm saying. Hear what I'm saying. So how do we, how do we practice hospitality then and not get caught in the entertainment trap? All right? And again, if you're planning a party, a, say a, a 40th birthday party for somebody and you're, and you're going to, entertain the socks off of people. I don't care. I'm not opposed to you doing that. Okay, please. I'm talking about everyday life. How do we live? How are we going to reach our community? It's going to be by building this community, relationship on relationship, and carry it to the world. That's how we're going to do it. So how do we do that? How do we, how do we build relationship? How do we practice hospitality, not get caught in the entertainment trap? How do we do that? Well, it's by recognizing that we have essentially three things that we can share with the world. All right, you ready for this? Number one, we need to learn how to share our time. And this is the heart of all these things. This is the hardest one for me. I value my time probably more than anything else. And I can't stand it when people waste my time. Being transparent with you here today. The hardest part about being hospitable is when people are wasting my time. Well, well how does that happen? Well, you know, like uh, they want to come over and they don't actually want to talk about it in particular. They just want to shoot the breeze. But I got things to do, right? I'm in the middle of building a fence or whatever, and they're standing there, hey, how are you today? What, what, are, you, what are you doing here? Is there something I can help you with? Is there, do, do you need help with something? You know, and for this guy, for, for pastor, that's tough. You know, I'm sitting there working on my computer and someone comes in and just plops down in a chair. Hey, I got... If, if I can help you with something, no problem. I'm, I'm, that's what I'm here for. I've had to learn that sometimes not having an agenda is good. And so, can I get you a coffee? And we sit and talk about nothing. Biggest stretch in my life, but the Holy Spirit's taking me on a journey and I'm happy to say I think I'm winning. But boy, was it tough for me in the beginning. I'm a task-oriented person. How many task-oriented people here this morning? Your task. Come on, be honest. Your task. Then, then you understand what I'm talking about. If you're task-oriented, you love your time, and you don't want people wasting it on you. 
Right, Adam? Come on. It's like, come on, don't be wasting my time. Whew. But you know what? One of the most beautiful things I have to share with people is my time. And there are some things that can't be built with other people without time and without time that has an agenda attached to it. And I've had to learn to just give people time without an agenda, without anything. That doesn't mean that I'm still not looking to be strategic and purposeful and all the rest of it with my life. I am. And I try to invest where I'm going to get the most return on my investment. I do. But there are other times that in order to get there, I've just got to give them my time without any agenda. And that took a lot of years to learn. But if I want to be somebody who understands biblical hospitality, get that word out, hospitality, I need to learn to give people my time. And this is really tough, but we need to do it. And here's the thing. Your time is not more important than anybody else's time. And you don't have more of it or less of it than anybody else. We all have been given 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. And so if you don't have time for other people, then it's an issue of priority, not of time. And you need to go back to the Lord and say, God, help me with my priorities. Because I need to make room, I need to make time for other people. Even when it's not convenient for me, but it's convenient for them. All right? That's number one. Everybody follow with me so far? Thank you. Number two. Number two is same three things we all have, right? Number two is love. Love. The next commodity we've been given to exercise with others is love. We all have it, and the more we give it away, the more it grows. We say that, we, we, we teach that, but we have such a hard time practicing that. The more we give it away, the more it grows. So if we'll love other people, more love will be the result of it. And if we'll go out of our way to love people, then we'll be building more love the more we do it. And I'm telling you, it's, it's hard, but we've got to learn to practice it and to begin with it today. Lavish love on people. And where do I start? Okay, we'll start with your spouse. Start with your spouse. I joke around all the time. I say, when my wife dies and goes to heaven, she won't even notice the difference because she had it so good here. <laughs> She's been loved so well here. Isn't that right, Rebecca? She's been loved so well here that when she dies, she won't even notice the difference. Won't even notice the difference. It'd be just like, she's there. Oh, oh, this looks a little different because my job is to love her that that actually becomes true in such a way that actually becomes true. It might be a slight exaggeration at this point, but I'm working on it. And been there, that's right. But you know what I'm saying? My first person to love is my spouse. Second is your children. So when we're going to build the household of faith, we start with the immediate household that God has given us, and then we work out from there. And here's the thing. If I will love my spouse and love my children, I build more love. I don't have less love. I have more love. It compounds. And now that love is able to be given away to the rest of the world. And then they learn to love their spouse and to love their children. And their family becomes an impact on their neighbors and, and on their coworkers. And you see how this works. Love grows when we give it away. So God's calling us to give it away, to learn to love. 
we have been given the commodity of love by Christ. The Bible says we're able to love because he first loved us. So if we've experienced his love, then we give it away. That's what we do. And the third thing, we've got time, we've got love. We all have resources, some more than others. That's what capitalism is all about. If you want to talk about that afterwards, I'd be happy. Love to discuss politics. Don't usually do it from the pulpit. So, but uh, love to talk to you about it. But we all have resources. We all have things that we can share. We all have resources that we can give. The easiest one, the easiest one to transmit from one person to another is called money. Money. What is money for? What is money for? Money is a, do you know what money is? Money is a piece of your labor. It's a, it's a coin or a paper. It's a representation of your time, of your labor, of your work. It's what it is. And we created money in our system in order to find a way to exchange our labors. I work at one thing and I receive money for it and I go and pay somebody else for something else and they receive it as money for whatever they did. And that's how we've created a bartering system around pieces of paper. And that's what it is. It's, in it, it's, it's a commodity we use to exchange our time and our labor. So when you give money to somebody, you're imparting to them a piece of what you've accrued through your life's work and labor. You're sharing that with somebody. And it's the easiest way to share it. Sometimes we, that's why I put it third, because it's better to give them your real time than it is to just give them money. But sometimes it's easier to give them money than your real time. Sometimes your week is so full that you don't have any time or that they're on the other side of the country that you just, you need to send money instead of your time because it's going to be more effective to get the job done. So we start with money. But there's other commodities we have. We have food in our cupboards. We have, we have tools that we can, we can lend or we have maybe too many. We can give, give some away. We can share clothes. We can share all kinds of things. There's thing, we can share what we have. So we have time, we have love, and then we have resources. We can share our resources with those around us. Now, where do I get all this from? Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We want to read verses 42 to 47. This was the early church, the earliest description we have of the church in the Bible. And listen to what it says. Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now notice, it says that they sold their possessions and gave to everyone as they had need. And some people have interpreted that we're all supposed to live in a commune. But it goes right on the next verse and says that they met in their homes. So they didn't sell their house so they could, you know, given. They still had a home, but they sold, when it says they sold their, their possessions, they sold the things that, that were superfluous, the things that we have excess of, the things that, that we, 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 we can share with others. It's trying to tell you that it's, it's good to do an assessment and to share. And that's what they did. 
passage gives us a glimpse into the heart of the first century church that was built on hospitality. It was built on hospitality, devoting themselves to the teaching of the apostles, devoting themselves to fellowship with one another, breaking bread with one another, praying with one another. Uh, And then the fruit of that, miraculous signs, people being healed, people being filled uh, with the wonder of God, and then everything, but he's having their need met. That was the church. And when we practice that, when we as a society practice that, when the church is the main influencer in building hospitals and universities and, and, and schools and, and taking care of the needs of the public, we have massive influence. When we back away from that and all we focus on is, is preaching a, you know, a message of salvation, we lose out on our influence. It's not that salvation is important, it is. But it's not, it's not this or that, it's this and that. We should never have abandoned our place in society of being the one who led the way. We need to be the ones who lead the way again. And the Lord added daily to the church. Church growth was not the unusual thing about this description. What was unusual is about how they lived. What was unusual is how they lived. It was about how they, they put everything aside so that they could be together and practice hospitality with one another. Let me conclude this morning. I'm running out of time. Everyone was filled as a result of it with awe. Church, we should practice hospitality because one of the fruits of it is that it'll leave people speechless. That's what kind of like awe is. We're like, wow. That's awe. We're like, whoa. We don't even know, have words to describe the church of Jesus Christ, the, the way they lived left their culture in awe. And people went, wow, that's fantastic. People were in awe of what God was doing. Then it says many miraculous signs and wonders were done by the apostles. There's liberty when there's hospitality. There's freedom when there's community. And there's faith that allows those who have gifts to serve in the midst of them and to see miraculous signs and wonders come as a result of it. Number three, they enjoyed the favor of all the people. The world, the whole Roman Empire took notice of the church of Jesus Christ. In fact, if you read further on in the book of Acts, you know, it says of the Christians, it says, these are the people that are turning the world upside down. They're turning the world upside down. When was the last time you, you met somebody for the first time and they find out you're, you know, you're, part of Desert Stream, you're a Christian. And they said, well, that's right. You're the people that are turning Belleville upside down. You guys are the ones making a difference. Right? That's what they said about the first century church. You guys are the ones that are getting her done. Right? And when the world notices that you're getting it done, you have influence. You're a leader. You don't become a leader by going, look at me. I want my way. And I see churches so caught up in their rights right now rather than the first right they have, which is to love all people and to serve them. Go park your rights until you can practice your obligations. Get your obligations straight first, and then we'll start talking about your rights. Somebody's going to get mad at me for that one, but I'm just going to put that out there anyway. (laughs) 
And as a result of all of that, the Lord added daily to their number those that were being saved. Do we want to see the Lord add daily? You know, I've honestly had people say, no, I don't want that. I like our church the way it is. I like knowing all the people that I see around me every Sunday. And I feel comfort. It brings me great comfort to come in and to see the same faces. I'm just being honest with you. There's some people that, that that's church for them. And they're not interested in growth or anything because, they, you know, they, they, they want to... And you say, well, that, that's ridiculous. Oh, yeah, let's take it to a smaller part of the church. Let's say you have a home group. Are you... Do you like your home group the way it is? And you like the people that are in your home group. And it's, you know, it, it it's upsets the dynamic when a new person comes in, Pastor. Right? Are you getting the message this morning? God wants to open our hearts up. He wants us to be people that are known for our hospitality, who are bigger tomorrow than we were today, and we're bigger today than we were yesterday. And that we carry influence in our world because we are the ones that that have, have literally made the difference in our society. And I believe, everybody say, I believe. I believe believe that God is calling his church back to that place of influence and we're responding globally and we're seeing an impact being made. You know, one of the things I'm grateful for in the midst of this whole thing, just to localize it for those that are watching online, is we have a homeless shelter now in our city and we didn't have one for years. We had a problem in our community. People actually in the middle of the winter having to live outside because they have no place to go. And we now have a homeless shelter. It's full every night. Praise the Lord. But who started it? People of faith. Who said this ought not to be in our city. And all kinds of other people came on board. People that aren't people of faith, but they are on board because they see the need and they too want to come on board and help. What does that communicate though? They're seeing us do it and they're saying, I want to be part of it too. That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. That's what we need to get back to doing. And you know what? If we will do that, we will have the influence that God has called his people to have in culture again. And then you get, you chant, you get your opportunity to tell them about what it is that makes you tick. It's about what Christ has compelled you to do in your heart. And then they say, I want that too. And they come along with you on the journey. Amen? Stand with me again this morning. For the next two weeks, you're going to get Pastor Mark, uh, and you're going to be blessed by what he has to say. Uh, Reminder, Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, junior highs are going to start. Uh, I think they're going to meet, what, twice a month, Mark? The first one's going to be a St. Patrick's Day, St. Patty's celebration here uh, on uh, Wednesday night. For more details, talk to Pastor Mark after the service. Uh, He'd love to fill you in on that. That's going to be happening on Wednesday night. Youth as well on Wednesday night. Uh, We encourage you to be part of that. Um, You know, God is good, isn't he? Amen. Thank you for not throwing anything at me this morning. I really appreciate it. It's great. Uh, It doesn't give a good visual online if you do that, so I appreciate it very much. Uh, Can I just pray over you this morning? Father, I just ask today that you would would show us how to uh, participate in your call to biblical hospitality. Father, you'd you'd reveal to us how we can share our time, how we can share our love, how we can share our resources with the world and make an impact for the kingdom of God. 
Father, we pray that, Lord, you would work through each and every one of us as we build our community of faith that we would influence our community in the city of Babel and around. Father, I pray that for those watching online, no matter where they are, no matter what community they're from, I pray, God, you'd bless them and that, Lord, they would take this message and that, Father, they would see their community transformed by the love of Jesus Christ expressed through hospitality. We ask it today in Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you. Have an amazing week in him. See you next week. Hey, everybody. Pastor Kevin Dowling here from Desert Stream. Just giving a shout out to you and saying thanks for joining us this week. We trust that you received something out of what was shared today, and we hope that it spoke to you and that it encouraged you in this season that we find ourselves in. You know, you could do us a big favor if you would just uh, share, uh, like, uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Let people know that there's a place that you found that you're getting an encouragement and hope each and every week. We hope you plan to check in with us next week, be a part of our expression again, and help spread the word that God is in control in the midst of this season.